We're talking about renewing our vision and seeking God for a vision of what's on his heart and his mind for this season. We need to ensure that our own vision, our own capacity to see, our spiritual vision is in place. Last night, I spoke from the miracle of the man who asked Jesus to restore his sight. Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to see. And we brought in the new year last night, and you can pick this up online because it'll be posted online very soon. We brought in the new year last night reflecting and asking God to restore our spiritual vision and to develop it. Now, this short series is no way about telling you, hey, you've got no vision, or what's the, what's the matter with you? You're spiritually blind. No, 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 no. I'm sure every single one of us, those of us who recognize that part of being a Christian means that God's spirit lives in you, and that spirit of wisdom and revelation is constantly there, that the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your understanding, will continually be enlightened. We recognize that, and we're saying, God, we want to see more clearly than ever before. We want our vision to deepen. We want our vision to expand. So today I want to speak to you about improving your spiritual vision. We read in the book of Isaiah a number of remarkable statements. One, which is a prophecy that we are seeing fulfilled in our day and generation. Darkness shall cover the land and gross darkness the people. One of the things that is clear about international situations, geopolitical situations, geospiritual situations, is that darkness is increasing in many, many quarters. But the Bible also says that the people who sit in darkness shall see a great light. That was a predictive prophecy concerning the light of Messiah that was particularly going to shine brightly amongst the nations which are represented by the region called Galilee. And then more pertinently, speaking directly to Israel in the first instance, projected onto the body of Christ in the New Testament, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Why don't you take that as an affirmation of God's call upon your life for 2017? Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Spiritual sight is our birthright as believers. Another healing of a man born blind, he was, he was called to give testimony. They were trying to find a reason to condemn Jesus, and they were trying to get him involved in some kind of theological dispute so they could blame Jesus. And thank God that the man who was healed was not a theologian, because he kept saying, I don't know who he is, he opens the eyes of the blind. This is one thing I know. Once I was blind, but now I see. No, but tell us, who is this man? What do you think of him? No, he said, I don't know. All I know is, once I was blind, but now I can see. How many people can say that testimony today? Once I was blind, now I can see. Now, I want to add something to that testimony as we go into the new year and into this period of seeking God. I, I want to be able, for us to be able to look at some of the reasons for believing. We see clearly by the light of God, by the light of revelation, but we need increasingly to be able to make a good testimony. 
to, to other people. And it's, of course, sharing your personal testimony. This is how I met Jesus. This is what I now understand to be true. But also, let's add some reasons for believing. We call this apologetics. And we're introducing this into our ministry in due course. But it's our spiritual birthright. I was blind, now I see. So the question is this, and I'm thinking about this, throwing it out to you a little bit by way of reflection today. What happens to an individual when they walk away from the light? Okay, will things get darker and darker? What happens when a whole society neglects the light of revelation, either the light of natural revelation that is in our hearts, in our, in, in our hearts by creation, our conscience, knowing right from wrong, what happens when a society turns away from that? What happens when a society wants to be able to hold up the Bible, even in the houses of parliament, and say, this is God's truth, and we base our society on the revelation of God's truth? What happens when that same society turns away? Things get darker and darker. Things get more confusing. And the most serious thing is there's no reference point. If you're in a dark place, maybe you're in a ship having a look, you see a lighthouse, that's a reference point. You know the lighthouse is a fixed reference point, and you can orientate everything to do with your navigation, this is a parable for life, the navigation of your life around that unchanging, constant, fixed reference point. But when people see fit to throw out revelation and throw out all matters relating to the fixed point of what God says, God's word, what we're left with. We're left with confusion, no reference point. Everybody becomes their own reference point. You fumble along, each person becoming their own reference point. Sometimes, and don't read too much into this, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want your mind to go in a certain direction. But sometimes, maybe more regularly than 20 years ago, I find it necessary to get up in the middle of the night. Don't go there. Don't ask why. But just listen to the rest of the illustration. So, very careful not to disturb my sleeping beauty. I, I, uh, that's my wife, just in case you're wondering about that one. Uh, I, I will, I will feel, and sometimes I get a reference point and I'll walk straight into the wardrobe, believing it is the room to the... Well, anyway, believing I'm, I'm going where I'm needing to be going. And it's quite remarkable how you can be so sure that you're taking steps in the right direction to find yourself looking foolish, facing a wall or in some other blind alley. As humorous as that may be for you in the middle of the night, it becomes a tragic situation when we see that's exactly what our society is doing. You see, spiritual blindness is not a neutral state. That's what people think. They think they're being very neutral and very objective when they say, well, we're not exactly sure whether God exists. Not exactly sure whether there's anything such as objective truth by which we should run our lives. So really, but we're being objective, we're being open-minded, we're being very, very rational. In fact, the truth is, the Bible says people love darkness rather than light because, can you finish the sentence? Their deeds were evil. The Bible also says in that very famous verse, which had to be in the message somewhere, though I tried hard to exclude it because it's so predictable. The Bible says where there is no vision, the people perish. 
And when you go back to the, the versions, you'll find there's a number of translations of that, and, and uh, one of them goes something like this, where there is no revelation, probably referring to the original revelation of the law of God through Moses, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. In other words, they say, we, we can work it out for ourselves. And in fact, there are people today who say that's the height of human maturity to say there is no God and we are going to work things out for ourselves because we've come of age. Well, the truth is, God has called you and I to shine brightly, more bright than ever before, brighter than ever before, in a world that is heading increasingly into darkness. We must remain children of the light so that we can shine by word and by deed. Pause there and join me in my preparation struggle because I thought there's a message. But I've said it and maybe I'll come back to it. So I put that to one side. That's how we demonstrate the light of God in our society. By our words standing up for the reality of the truth of the scriptures and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not being ashamed to speak out the word of God with wisdom. Especially in the public arena. But we've been uh, working together with Evangelical Alliance and also the Lawyers Christian Fellowship. Isn't it wonderful to know that there's such a thing as a Christian lawyer? Okay, amen. Well, amen. Maybe you'll need one one day, so, so store that up. But they have done a tremendous job to research and to bring to light and to bring to prominence exactly what our legal freedoms are as Christian believers in this nation. The report was raised in the House of Parliament and our Prime Minister actually spoke in Parliament and welcomed the report and was, spoke favorably of the Christian's right in the public place, including your workplace, if you do it with wisdom and respect. Remember that, wisdom and respect, and to do it wisely. Then we have the right to do so. Speak out. Don't hold back. Don't let recent court cases put you off. And anyway, even if you did lose your job, if you lost it for Jesus, that's a good thing. Can I have an amen? amen. Okay, a reluctant one. It's all very well to say amen till it happens to you. But you don't need to lose your job if you know what the law is and you can speak out. Secondly, not just by word, but by deed. This is another sermon for another day, but as you see, I sneakily got some of it into this. But in this world of darkness, we're called to shine. Now, we can only shine insofar as we have spiritual vision. There is a link in Scripture between the light of revelation and the light that enters our spiritual faculties. Our spiritual vision, however, ladies and gentlemen, and I say this most graciously, and I'm not here to insult you, I include myself in this, we need our spiritual vision to be constantly refreshed. Because there are many things that can impair our vision spiritually. Loss of sight, visual impairment, is very significant in the physical realm. We have and are supposed to have regular eye tests. And uh, at, at my age, they're free. So that's interesting, isn't it? Never, never mind about that. So there's wonderful compensations, isn't there, Mr. Lyndon Bowering, of reaching certain age of maturity? <laughs> I see my good friend Lyndon here. 
And, um, but it's important because when you, when you check out your eyes, sometimes they can spot all kinds of things which relate to other medical conditions. So it's very, very, very good. But the Bible knew this all along and said, if your eye is single, if your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. So we're going to look at a few things this morning, things that we can avoid, things that we can check out in our lives to ensure that we are A, preserving our spiritual sight, and B, developing it and actually deepening it. So the first scripture is Matthew chapter 6. I'll read the whole passage. Matthew 6, 19 to 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for neither, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Spiritual vision is a matter of where, what you treasure and what is in your heart. Verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? That is a parable of the modern world. They think they are living in the age of enlightenment and reason, and they're seeing things clearly, but actually, they're walking in darkness. There's nobody, nobody more blind than those who think they see. Verse 24 is the key verse. No one can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Three short principles from this. The passage speaks for itself. Three short principles. Number one. Jesus teaches a um, remarkable, important principle of human psychology. And this is it. You and I are drawn towards the dominant vision that we hold in our minds. The thing that you prize most of all, the thing that occupies you, the thing that you search for, the thing that you long for, the thing that you seek, the thing that you want above everything else, that, consciously and unconsciously, will drive every single decision. So make sure in 2017, when you and I probably will be confronted almost on a daily basis with important decisions, sometimes the little things as well as the big things are important, when we are faced with those choices, remember that where you have set your heart, where you've set your focus, where you've set your vision, the thing that you treasure above everything else will be the thing that will guide you. And if you really want to walk in the way of the Lord, make sure He is in the center of your vision. Second principle. It's very clear, and Jesus makes it clear, you cannot go in two directions at the same time. You can't do that. You can't be in the same place twice, or can't be in two different places at the same time, and you can't go in two different direct directions. That's why Jesus says you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon here speaks of the principal worldly system of motivation, looking for worldly comfort, looking for the things, looking for the better life, looking for the good life. The good life is only found in Jesus, but it's not about us anyway. It's all about him. So... You can't serve God and mammon. You, you'll end up going in one direction or the other. And the 
unassailable conclusion of these principles is this. Therefore, make sure that you treasure God's kingdom above all else. That's what we're here for, to represent the kingdom of God. So recently, of course, we celebrated Christmas, a week ago was Christmas Day. And in that, we spoke about the coming of the king, the coming of the kingdom. However, there's still a lot of darkness around. If the light has come and the light is shining, how come there is still so much darkness? It's the grace and mercy of God because if he were to immediately turn on the light to full force, all darkness would disappear and everything with it would be destroyed. So he's saying, I'm giving an opportunity to step out of darkness into light, but the time is coming when the light will shine fully in an unfettered, unhindered way, and at that time it will be too late to say, I want to step out of the darkness. It will be too late. So he, he, he's giving us an opportunity. And one of the ways that he presents that opportunity is by saying, okay, I am the light of the world, I'm the light that gives light to every person. I've come into the world. I am the light of the world. And now I commission you to carry on the ministry of shining for me. Which means our principal purpose, the reason we are left on this planet, is that we might shine for Jesus. And when we make that the central focus, everything else falls into place. I've thought long and hard about the passage which follows quickly on from the one that I just read. I'll just refer to it, won't turn to it, where Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. You can preach that, put God first, and you're going to get everything you ever desire. Put God first, you double first, you get a Rolls Royce. Put him even higher than that, you get two Rolls Royces. That's not what it's about. By the way, I recently had, I don't make criticisms public a lot of the time, but this is interesting because I think you'll see the point. And I'm not speaking defensively. I recently received what was considered to be a very stinging criticism of Kensington Temple and its ministry. You people in Kensington Temple have forsaken the gospel of faith and of prosperity and of healing. And instead, all you're talking about is the kingdom of God, discipleship and evangelism. What's the matter with you? Hmm. Okay. Now, we sh there shouldn't be a tension between walking in God's blessing and putting God's first, God first. Because he says, listen, take care of my house. Make sure that my vision for you is your vision. And, and when you walk in my will, my way, I will take care of the rest. Isn't that wonderful? That's an assurance at the beginning of 2017. So my first point is make sure you're serving God, not mammon. Because if you start to serve mammon, you can be sure that your spiritual vision will fail you. Second major point this morning is never become spiritually complacent or spiritually indifferent. So you say, are you saying that we're complacent? Are you saying that we're spiritually indifferent? Pause for a moment and just let's be honest. Sometimes when you've been serving Jesus for a long period of time, and I know this problem, I really do know this problem in my own life. You become so familiar with spiritual things. I mean, I can read the Bible to the point of boredom. In quotes, in quotes, I'm going to rescue myself in a moment, don't worry. Because I know what's coming next. So I read it again in another version. I know what's coming next. 
And I anticipate, and my thinking goes on the line that I thought the last time when I read that same passage. And I have to say, Jesus, help me. Break me out of familiarity. Break me out of this mold. Break me out of this groove. I want to start to, I want to be fresh again. I don't want just to keep repeating, repeating, repeating ad nauseum the stuff that I've always known, always believed. I need fresh revelation. I need fresh vision. I need the fresh light of which the Puritan spoke that is yet to break forth from the word of God. And it seems to me we have in the book of Revelation a particular church in a place called Laodicea It was one of the seven churches of the Revelation in which John received a message, which John received a message to send to them. Here it is, Revelation 3, 14 to 22. I'll read it all and come back to the main points. And the angel of the Lord, to the angel of the Lord in Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. Now, that's not just what you say, but what you do. I know you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Sounds frightening and disgusting. I'll explain that in a moment, but still serious. Verse 17. For you say I'm rich. I have prospered and I need nothing not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. This is Jesus speaking. I counsel you to buy from me gold, refined by fire. Maybe he's saying here, you know what, I know what will help you, a good dose of persecution. Let's pray to God that he doesn't mean that when he speaks to us. Gold refined by fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that your clothes and may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so you, are, so you may see. Let's, let's leave it there. So we're seeing here that the kind of complacency, over-familiarity is sensible. I know this, I've got it all. We've been here and Kensington Temple preachers and teachers and everything's fine. And it's not fine. Because the moment you become complacent. The moment you think you've arrived, you've stopped growing. Now, what is this lukewarm business? Well, recent, in the last generation or so, recent archaeological research in this area of Asia Minor, Laodicea, has given some insight into this. So what Jesus is saying here, you are neither hot like that wonderful hot water that flows from Heriopolis. You are neither hot with the beautiful hot springs, the healing springs that are not far from where you live. Nor are you cold like the cool, refreshing waters of nearby Colossae. But you are lukewarm, just like the water supply of your own city, which when it came from a distance, in open-air aqueduct, got hot and tepid, and it was also full of minerals. And it was the kind of water that you couldn't drink easily, especially tepid water. You can drink hot water, you can drink cold water, but tepid water will make you throw up. And Jesus was saying, be careful, because I don't want you to make me 
sick. So lukewarmness. There's an option of being hot, an option of being cold and refreshing. No option of being tepid, being animetic. I believe sometimes, friends, this comfort and complacency is born out of prosperity. said last night, i say it again. I think all of us, more or less, are prosperous. Now, I know that there are tremendous sections of our current society that live in poverty. I understand that. But when you compare what we have or what's available to us with some of the different nations in the world where we go, where we go in the northeastern part of Brazil, living in drought, the politicians, not all of them, but some of them certainly don't care. In the region where you people helped us dig a well, in the northeastern part of Brazil, drought, desert anyway, in the midst of drought, a politician had come and said, I'm going to dig you a well. He dug a well, and it was amazing. Everybody was happy. When the election came, he lost, so he closed the well. You didn't vote for me, so that's it. Well, we dig wells whether they vote for Jesus or not. In that place, this desire to show Jesus in areas of real poverty, which is part of our Christian joy, I nearly said duty, but it's our privilege, shows us that we are living in relevant, relative prosperity. And one of the things that blinds us most of all to the reality of the invisible world is having our focus too much on the visible world. And when our values are distorted, so our vision is distorted. That's why we simply must speak up about genuine Christian values. And do not allow the debate to carry on without us. Speak up. Find out. Go online. Find out what the great British value debate is. And the members in Parliament are standing up. We have the organization, Care, Christian Research and Education, Linda Bowring is the executive chairman of that, who, who in many ways speak into this situation to make sure not only the Christians in Parliament, but others as well who are concerned about the value system of our age are not forgetting the foundation of that, which is the Christian gospel. And certainly, by point, by point of view of history and heritage, that's what this nation is built on. Amen and amen. These kind of things we're going to have to use or lose. Third major point this morning. In order to maintain and develop your spiritual vision, remember, examine your heart and stop criticizing others. Did you know that criticism is the thing that will make you blinder than, and quicker than anything else? Matthew 7, 1 to 5 says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And here's the picture. Remember it clearly, don't you? Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? Who said Jesus didn't have a sense of humor? What he's saying here is you've got a six-foot log sticking out of your eye and you are trying to criticize other people. Take care of your own responsibility. Use a strong word, verse 5. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly. 
to take the speck out of your brother's eye. There is nothing like criticizing others to make you blind. Begin with yourself. Guard your own heart. This is wise, sound, biblical, proverbial, wisdom of Solomon type advice. Check out your own heart. Always. Don't, don't do it by way of morbid introspection. One of the first goals that we're seeking to set is look at how we can set realistic, non-intimidating, non-judgmental, non-guilt-provoking goals for our own spiritual life in 2017 and beyond. What might it be for you? What area of your life is God putting his finger on saying, do you know what? This year, I want you to deal with that. It doesn't mean to say you start with a blank sheet of paper and write down all your sins. For a start, you'll need more than one sheet of paper. And you're going to, all the stuff, all the stuff that needs to change, all the stuff, that's all the stuff, all the stuff, you will just screw it up, throw it in the bin and say, Jesus, I give up. But when you are drawing close to him, you will find that alongside beautiful, intimate fellowship with Jesus, something will rise up. Say, you know that, that, that thing there? That, that's, I'm putting my finger on that. And when you hear it from God and say, yes, Lord, help me this year, help me. I want to master that. What might it be for you? Is it still this proverbial problem that we all struggle with and that is to have a daily disciplined devotional life that is not just disciplined but also delightful? That's still number one struggle for many, many people. What else is it? Something about your character that you've learned to live with and you, and you say, well, okay, I'll always be like this. I, this is in my genes. Well, let's remember that uh, there is such a thing as the grace of God. And, and let, let, let's allow the Holy Spirit fresh entrance and fresh permission to mold us and to shape us so that Christ, at the end of 2070, and who could in, envision what that might be by the end of 2020, that Christ is that much more fully formed in us. Christ produced in me. That's a wonderful vision, isn't it? And then when you have those kind of goals, you'll start to see things differently. And then your conversation with others will not be a point of view of superiority or judgmentalism, but you'll have a truly spiritual conversation in which their desire to see Christ formed in them links with the desire that you have to see Christ formed in you, and you can mutually help one another, and that's what a spiritual conversation is all about. That should be the quality of cell life and the vision we have for the kind of spiritual conversations we hold with one another. If that isn't happening in your cell, one of my private, personal, now public ambitions is to ensure the quality of that level of communication in our interactions. So when we meet together in the small groups, it's not about complaining or, 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 or muttering, or, or I'm not saying you do that, but it's not about just social things. Isn't it wonderful to see revival? What revival is that? The revival of Manchester United? No, no, the revival of the Holy Spirit. Well, the one is more impossible than the other. I'll get you to see which one it is. You will see everything differently. And the final mess point in the message is this. Let me just go through three points, the four points again. Make sure you're serving God, not mammon. Never become spiritually complacent or spiritually indifferent. 
Begin with your own heart rather than criticizing others. And finally, build character onto the foundation of your faith. I want you to turn to 2 Peter 1 verse 9. And my reading begins earlier in the text, but I'm going to work backwards. So we're going to follow the logic in reverse. 1 Peter 1 verse 9, it says, Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted, got a vision problem, nearsighted that he's blind. People who are registered as technically blind may still be sensitive to some forms of light. But there is a condition, myopic condition, which is so severe that you can be registered as blind, even though you're still sensitive to light in some kind of form. So he says, if you lack these qualities, you've become so nearsighted that technically you are blind, and you have forgotten that you were cleansed from your former sins. So we don't just have a vision problem, we have a memory problem. And this is something else which some people find amusing. Now, when I travel a lot, and um, life can get very, very boring. You're standing in queues, and you're having to queue up for security. And I don't like it when you have to pass through several security checks in the same airport. Anyway, virtually, the, the first thing you do, I, before I get, I'm taking off my belt. I'm taking off my shoes. I'm taking off my coat and everything like that. And at the end, have I got my passport? Have I got everything, you know, because... And it's nothing to do with being 63, I guarantee that. I've always been like this. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. But one tape I passed through, I couldn't find my belt anywhere. And what confused me was there was another box with another belt, and it wasn't my belt. And I said, I know what's happened. That woman has taken my belt. She's left me with a belt that I could never, and certainly should never, wear in public. Then she came along and retrieved it. I thought, where's my belt? I was desperate. You know, you, a belt is a quite important part of clothing, as, as you can imagine. So I'm going around, and I, I went to the security officer. I, I've lost my belt. I need my belt. And he said, sir? I said, you haven't understood. I've lost. I need my belt. It's probably gone. Somebody said, he said, sir, I, I've lost my belt. He said, sir, it's hanging around your neck. <laughs> Don't laugh. I couldn't see it. But the scary thing is I don't remember putting it there. <laughs> and when you need glasses, you know, I'm slightly long-sighted, long so I, I need glasses to, to read. And uh, so when you both have a memory problem and a visual problem, what happens when you lose your glass, glasses and you forget where you put them? Problem. But there are similar things <laughs> in the spiritual realm. Because if we go back now to verse 8, he says, if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. Look at all these things. Something is hanging on some, a very important principle which we're coming to, building up to it by going backwards in the text. There's something here which is so important. It's caused by a vision problem. It's caused by a memory problem. It manifests in such a way as it will lead you to unfruitfulness and a diminishing of your knowledge of the Lord. This is very, very important. So let's read what is happening here. What is important? Back in the text, 2 Peter 1, now verses 5 to 7. This is what he started with as his major premise, and I'm working back to it. 
Peter says, for this very reason. Make every effort to supplement your faith. What an interesting um, translation. To supplement your faith. There is something primary in your Christian life. And what is primary is foundational. That is faith itself. You don't have to be here long in this church before you hear a sermon on how we are saved by faith and faith alone, not by works. So salvation by faith is the foundation, and that foundation is so firm, so solid, that it will get you to heaven. It's nothing to do with your works or your performance, even as a Christian. It's to do with Jesus, who has carried the load for you. However... Onto that foundation, we are intended to build. Onto that primary thing, there is a supplementary thing. And that is adding to our faith, supplementing our faith with the grounding it on faith itself, all the virtues of good Christian character and conduct. Virtue, add to your virtue knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. It sounds rather quaint to our modern ears because these are good, golden, wholesome values that are based in our society on that which we would call traditional values, which in turn came out of the gospel. Now, I would want to paraphrase these. They're a little bit unpalatable in our modern language. But actually, we should get back to them and not be ashamed to use them. Virtue, knowledge, self-control. Now, there's a biggie, self-control, steadfastness, faithfulness, loyalty, godliness, and so on. So he says, do all of these things, and then he goes on from his conclusion to say, in 1 Peter chapter 1, 10 to 11, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if, these practice, if, if you practice these qualities, this is talking about lifestyle, you will never fall. In this way, you'll be richly rewarded and have an abundant entrance into the kingdom of God. But remember, it started with what? A memory problem and a vision problem. You have forgotten that you've been cleansed from your sins. You are nearsighted, meaning you're living for the moment and not going back to that old-fashioned, this is mother's home baking message today, that old-fashioned of delayed gratification putting up with stuff now, sacrificing now, saying no now, not because we're living for the moment, but precisely because we're not living for the fleeting gratifications of feel-goodness that our society tells us to go towards. But we are saying, yes, present suffering, but future glory. We, so, we say no now, and we're glad later when we receive the joy and benefits and the peace that comes from walking with Jesus. It all goes back to that memory problem and that vision problem. So these are some principles to take you into, into the new year. I encourage you to get last night's message. They'll probably be out certainly by Wednesday, uh, and you, you can watch them together. And then we will lead into how we can seek God, not just to adopt the corporate vision that we, we have been working on, praying on, 
uh, praying about so, so you can run with it, but how that relates to you, how that relates to the personal things that God is showing you, how that relates to your vision for your spiritual growth in 2017 and beyond, how that relates to your desire, not just for Jesus to be produced in you, but to reproduce through you so you become fruitful in making disciples. And not just that, but how to gather them and grow them so that together we grow in our influence in wider society and stand up for Jesus in this crucial window of opportunity so that by 2020, when we enter that new decade, we have a church that is strong, vibrant, healthy, deeply rooted, spiritually mature, reproducing and having an influence in our society. Then we'll be ready for what God has in store for us in the future. Happy New Year to you and God bless you.